0: Hello, and thanks for joining us via the video again, and happy Easter to you and to your family. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian. I'm the minister here at Harmony Christian Church, and we pray that this video is an encouragement to you today. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about us, you can go to HarmonyChurch.tv, and there you can find out uh, just kind of who we are and what we're about. You can send us a message. Maybe there's something we could be praying about. Uh, You can do that if you would like. There's also ways to give online. It's there, too. You can set up a pay just a one-time donation, or if you'd like to set up reoccurring giving, uh, you can do that as well. If you'd like to mail us maybe a a gift, you're welcome to do that at at 7100 South Choctaw Road in Choctaw, Oklahoma. Uh, You're welcome to do that uh, if you'd like as well. And even more so, just Happy Easter to you and to your family. And during this video, you're going to see a lot of people from Harmony. They're going to be offering up some of their gifts. And one thing that's going to happen is a time of uh, communion uh, on this particular video and so if you'd like to maybe you just want to press pause for just a second and you know find maybe find some bread or a cracker, maybe you got some juice or maybe it just boils down to some cheetos and so and a diet coke. Whatever you might have there but maybe gather up your family together so that together whoever you might be with uh you might be able to t- uh, share in communion during this video. So we pray this video is is a blessing to you on this Easter day. So God bless you. In John chapter 21 Peter is sitting there with Jesus, and he has this deeply personal moment. He's sitting there eating some fish that Jesus has cooked for him, and he's sitting around with some of the other disciples. And it's been a moment because not too long ago, Peter has completely blown it—just totally blown it. You, you ever, you ever done that? Like we've all done that, right? You had that moment where you told somebody, "Oh yeah, I'm going to be there. It's on my calendar. I'm going to do that," and then you get that phone call, right? You get the phone call of, "Hey." Where are you at? Like, I'm here. Where are you? And wh- what do you mean, where am I? Like, like, I'm here. Oh, yeah, but you're supposed to be over there. Ah, like then you totally blew it, right? Or maybe there's that moment in your esteemed academic career where you had to go to the professor and you had to tell the professor, like, look, I really wanted to take your test. Like, taking your test sounded like a really good idea. I wanted to do that. But there's a big problem. The big problem was is that your test was not available at my bedside. I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't able to get there in time. You ever had those moments where you just kinda blew it? Well, Peter did. Peter knew what it was to blow it and blow it publicly. Publicly. Maybe you're familiar with the name Tiger Woods. Maybe you maybe that's a name that you're familiar with. And you might remember here recently he had a mountaintop experience. Like, he did awesome and won another major tournament here recently. But that's not been the story for Tiger Woods for quite a while. The story we're more familiar with with Tiger Woods is how he just blew it. He blew it in life. He blew up his marriage. Like, things just weren't that great for him. I just imagine if you were Tiger Woods and you're sitting at home, every TV channel that you turn on is another mugshot, another video, Another story about how Tiger Woods has completely blown it and blew up his life and blew up his marriage. There was an interview he did one time where he, he in a moment of just kind of real honesty, he, he mentioned and said that just how much shame that he had brought upon himself. And when he said it, you could tell that he said it with a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow. Well, that's that's Peter. He has blown it and blown it publicly. In fact, he is sitting around eating fish with people who are going to write about his story, about him blowing it and blowing it publicly, and they're going to share that with the entire world. it's, It's no small thing to say that the entire world knows that Peter has blown it and blown it publicly. And into this moment, as they're sitting around and eating fish, Jesus leans into this moment with Peter and shares with him some love and some forgiveness, into that place of pain and guilt and sorrow, a place that we all know that we have blown it, just like Peter. Jesus leans in. He leans in on that moment. You might remember uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus has got all kinds of questions, and he doesn't really understand the thing that Jesus has been teaching, and they kind of have a lot of back and forth, but it gets to that more famous passage, maybe the one you're familiar with, you know, John 3:16. that passage that even if you don't go to church, you, you might be familiar with it. But then there's, then there's verse 17, the one just after that. It says this, After all, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved by him. Jesus says that over and over again in, in other ways and in, in different places. He he repeats himself like, I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to judge. Instead, he says he came to save. He came to love. He came to heal. Those are the things that he says that he came to do. I, I came to rescue. Those are the things that Jesus wants to talk about. He wants to talk about healing and rescuing. And not judging. And I think for most of it, that's really hard. That's pretty difficult. Because we have all grown up since the time we were little to the time that we are wherever we are now. We have those voices in our head, be it family members, coaches, teachers, uh, folks from church. All those voices in our head that judge us. We just don't quite measure up. So when we hear that Jesus came to offer love and forgiveness, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow because we know we have plenty of voices in our head about judgment, and we also know how quick we are to judge somebody else. We're pretty quick to sum up who we think somebody else is and and what they're doing. Um, I've had a good friend of mine in college, his name's John Vernon, and his dad uh, operated the Jesus Place Inner City Mission in downtown Atlanta. If you were to show up there on a Sunday morning, you'll see a, a room, a church just full of homeless people. It's a really a, a wonderful experience to have. But you might imagine when you go to help and work and serve with the homeless people, you, you walk in with a lot of judgments, a lot of preconceived notions about who and what you think homeless people are. I remember one Sunday when we were getting ready for church service to kind of get started, this one particular gentleman came in, and he wanted to play the piano. And there was a piano that was down front. It was an old upright piano, and it sat down front, and he wanted to play. So he got permission, and he went down there, and he played the piano. And man, this guy could play. He could just make that piano sing. It was awesome to hear this guy play. And then come to hear his story, the reason why he could play so well is he used to play – with some high level, very well known jazz musicians. He'd made albums. He'd been around the world. He had been in like major concert halls performing jazz music. And then this guy was good. He was real good. You just weren't expecting that from a homeless person. You wouldn't expect that kind of, that level of stuff to come from a homeless person. And yet in that moment, I can't help but think as I reflect on that story that as he sat there and he played that piano that just for a little while, all those voices that judge him, all those voices about how he had just totally and completely blown up things in his life just for a little while went away, Just just for a little bit. He was able to just kind of be the person that God had designed him to be. God leans in on this moment with Peter. He leans in on this moment and offers him something that he knows that he needs. Because all of us have failed. All of us have blown it. And all of us, when we blow it, failure can often paralyze us. It starts that little fire of shame inside of us. And we keep throwing more logs on top of that fire. In fact, in your life where you find things like secrecy and judgment and silence, usually not too far away from there, you'll find some pain and you'll find some shame and you'll find some guilt. And that's what Peter's experiencing. He's paralyzed by this huge failure, this monumental failure of his life. And into this failure, Jesus leans in and he offers him some love and he offers him some forgiveness and it changes Peter's life. And that's what puts his little shame fire out is this love and forgiveness that Jesus offers. And it's in that moment that Peter actually becomes the person who Jesus saw in him all along. Peter, I see that you can be the rock. That's who you are, and it's in this moment that changes Peter's life. It's this moment right here of eating some fish and Jesus offering love and forgiveness to Peter that it just changes everything for him. It changes everything for him. It, it changes his life around, and he begins to experience the good life. Well, John chapter 21 offers us, I think, uh, some more stories or at least least some lessons, I think, that we could learn from this. I think one of the lessons that we can learn as you look through uh, John chapter 21 is this. You don't have to live in fear of people anymore. When Jesus offers Peter this love and this forgiveness, Peter doesn't have to live in fear of other people and what they're going to think. The reason why Peter denies Jesus three times is because he was so afraid of what everybody else thought. He was scared. He was afraid. What are they going to say? What are they going to do when I tell them that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus? But now with the grace and the love that has been offered to him, he doesn't have to fear that anymore. And in a few days down the road, you will find Peter standing there on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people gathered as he begins to tell them who Jesus was and what he was about. There's no more fear of people. No more fear of people. Churches can often do that too. They can often get afraid of other people, afraid of people who don't vote like them, who don't do life the way that they think that you should do life. But when you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of people anymore. I think a second lesson that we can get out of this little story here in John chapter 21 is that you can reach a place where you don't have to be afraid to fail. I think about our culture that we live in, which is such a perfectionistic culture. We, we criticize and we criticize and we criticize that this wasn't quite right or you don't look the, quite the way you're supposed to look or this and that. We just we're critical of every little thing to the point where it just paralyzes us. We're just afraid to almost do anything for the criticism that might come our direction. I would just like to remind you of this. Whoever you might look at and say, that person over there is a success. That person over there has achieved some things. I guarantee you that any of that success that they have had has been built upon nothing more than a whole lot of failure. Failure after failure after failure has only helped them reach the point where now they've achieved something. I think the third thing that we can kind of grab out of this is that when you gain the approval of Jesus, nothing else matters. When you have Jesus' approval, you're not worried about everything else. When you have Jesus who says, I approve of you, I approve of you, then the thing that happens is, is you can go and do the things that Jesus has called you to do. And it doesn't matter if the rest of the world hates it. All that matters is that you get Jesus's approval. That's all that matters. Well, this moment for Peter isn't just like a one-time thing. He has this moment with Jesus, but now what do you do? Now that you've been offered some grace, now you've been offered forgiveness, like what do you do with it? Like, how might it affect and change your life? Well, Peter gives us a clue into that. In the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, Peter b- lays out for us a recipe for life, a recipe that I think any of us could follow, and it's a recipe for a really, a really good life. It, it really is quite the thing. Uh, and Here's how Peter puts it in 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him and who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter starts off by saying, Hey, look, everybody that's reading my letter here, guess what? You have been provided some grace. Great place to start. You've all been given some grace. Everybody's got some. It's been given in abundance. Everybody has some grace. It's an excellent place to start from. But not only have you been given that, he continues on. And in verse 4, he says this, "...through these uh, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires." Now there, Peter kind of gets into the thing that we all struggle with. We all have that moment every day where it's okay. Is it going to be God's way or is it going to be like these evil desires that I kind of have? Like we all reach those crossroads moments like all the time, every day. So Peter's like, okay, everybody's been given grace. And everybody has these moments where like you have these choices that you have to make in life. So what do you do? How do you live life in light of the forgiveness and grace that Jesus has offered? Well, now he begins to offer up his recipe. Here is a recipe for the good life. Starting in verse 5, he says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep from you being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So Peter says, here's this recipe for a really good life. And it starts off with faith. Now, it doesn't matter how much faith you got. You might have a little bit. You might have a lot. But it takes a little bit of faith, just a little bit. And that's enough to get started. You know, some of the most spiritual prayers that you could ever pray is just the simple prayer that just says, God, just help me in my unbelief. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you could just ask God, God, help me and my unbelief. Just need a little bit of faith. So take take however much faith you got, and you kind of throw that in the pot, and you kind of get things going a little bit. So just a little bit of faith. And then he says, to your faith, add some virtue. And, And the virtue that he says he wants you to add is to do the right thing. Do good. Do the right thing. So you have a little bit of faith, you have a little bit of good, and mix that together, and things are starting to cook up a little bit. Things are starting to kind of come together a little bit. And he says, okay, so you have some faith, And you have some good, you have some virtue to to, to do the right thing. And then to that, add some knowledge. So go out there to Amazon and get a book on the Bible, whatever book, and grab a book and learn something about the Bible. Uh, Get another book and, and learn about the world. Watch some videos that teach you about how the world is made and how the cosmos works. Like, to your faith and to doing the right thing, put some knowledge to it. Learn some stuff. Learn about what it means to be human. Learn about, learn about God. Learn about the Bible. Learn about the universe. Learn about these things. Add some knowledge to that. And then he says to that, add some discipline. And we could all use that. A little bit of self-control, especially now that we find ourselves at home and bored and we find ourselves going to the refrigerator every five minutes, right? A little bit of self-control ain't bad, especially in a world where we find ourselves addicted to everything. But what about a little bit of patience, the discipline of patience, where we're so just d- dis- disconnected and distracted by the world that we can't really focus on what's going on right here. What's happening right now? That's what patience provides. What about some kindness, the discipline of kindness in a world that tells us to be so aggressive? So, so a little bit of faith, doing the right thing. Add some knowledge, throw in some discipline. Things are starting to smell pretty good, starting to cook this thing up, but things are getting really, really good. And then he says to that, add some perseverance, or another way to say that, endurance. And if anybody should know that, it's Peter. There's going to be hard days. There, you're you're going to blow it. You're, you're, there's going to be moments where you feel like you're not maybe so close to God, or maybe you've just kind of ruined the whole thing. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Just hang in there. Just hold on. Help is on the way. So throw in a little bit of perseverance and endurance to this mixture. Kind of keep that going. And then to that, add some godliness. Another way of saying that would be like living out the things that Jesus values. So Jesus valued the outcast. Jesus valued other people. So those are some things that you could live out. And again, throw that into the pot and begin to kind of mix that up. And things are really beginning to cook. And then as all this is going, Peter says, you know what? It would be really great. It would be really nice if you just you just kind of liked people. Like, that would be a good thing. If you just kind of liked people. And that's really hard. Because people are just kind of hard to like. But Peter says, you know what? It would be really nice if you would just dislike people. Now that doesn't mean you get to that doesn't mean you get to just live life however you want to live, like you don't get to be a jerk forever right but but Peter says, add to all of these things, all that stuff, a little bit of kindness for other people, godliness, do the right thing, faith, and then the last ingredient this and into this pot of a good life he says, now throw in a heaping helping." of love. And Peter says, that's the good life. If you want to know what life looks like after the resurrection, after Jesus has offered up this grace and forgiveness to us all, then this is what it looks like. And Peter says, if you do this, you mix this stuff up into your life and you begin to live this stuff out, then you know what? You'll be productive. You'll be effective. You'll be the person that God has wanted you to be all along. You have the good life. You have the good life. And wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Peter adds one little thing there at the bottom. He does say this, that if you don't do any of those things, well, then you'll be nearsighted and blind. In other words, all you're going to see is nothing but problems. I'm a problem, they're a problem, another problem, all these problems. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to remain paralyzed in our fear. We don't have to remain paralyzed in our shame and our guilt. We can allow the grace that Jesus is offering into our lives, and it can change us forever. It can change us to the good. And isn't that what the resurrection on Easter is all about? The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. God bless you.
1: Good morning. Today we gather to celebrate the risen Christ, our Savior. Even though we are not physically together, we are together In mind and spirit as we observe this Most Holy Sunday. Our scripture today comes from Mark 12 verses 13 through 17. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is on the coin? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You know, the Pharisees and Herodians thought they could trap Jesus. Their question about paying taxes seemed to give him only two choices, play by the world's rules and ruin his reputation as a God-centered teacher, or reject the government's taxes and give the appearance of leading a rebellion. They just didn't get it. And often we don't either. So why did Jesus choose not to play by the world's rules? It wasn't because he despised them. It was because he had a higher purpose. Jesus wasn't after Caesar's money or kingdom or anything prized by the world. Jesus had a higher purpose, a loftier goal that made taxes seem trivial. Jesus was after what belonged to God, because Jesus was God. So the trick of the religious leaders became a perfect opportunity for Jesus to teach what he was really after. Whose image is on the coin, Jesus asked. If it has Caesar's image on it, he said, give it to Caesar. It is simple. What God wants is what has God's image on it. And what has God's image? Where has God inscribed his name on us? God doesn't want our money or stuff. He wants us, his children. Which brings us to the communion table. God made provision to do for his children what they could not do for themselves. He provided the perfect sacrifice through the death of his son, Jesus. In so doing, He gave each person the opportunity to choose eternity with him. Christ willingly suffered, died, and then rose from the grave, giving us the victory over death. Death no longer has the victory for a believer. The bread and the cup represent the broken body and spilled blood of our Savior. The victory over sin and the corruption and death it brings is complete, and all believers can rejoice that we can say I am God's child. I have God's image. He is my Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for inscribing each and every soul with your image and for making provision for the forgiveness of sin and our eternity with you. As we partake of these emblems representing the blood and body of our Savior, we ask that we do this in a manner pleasing To you, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Happy Easter to you and to your family uh, this day. And uh, we're out here. Uh, we've got a little bit of water uh, behind us. And one of the things that's interesting about Jesus is that he loved to eat meals. He loved to eat. Jesus ate with all kinds of people. He like for example, he ate with uh, Matthew, the tax collector. He ate with Zacchaeus. He was another tax collector. Uh, he had he had a meal with Peter and the other disciples. He ate with everybody. He ate with uh, Simon the leper. He ate with Simon the Pharisee. Just had all kinds of people that he ate with had all kinds of meals, and one of the more interesting meals that Jesus had was not soon long after his resurrection, Jesus appears in the the upper room with the disciples, and he's sitting there, and they're sitting there in the upper room, when all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room, and Thomas, of course, wants to check him out, you know, how you doing, what's going on, and he checks them all out and everything, and then Jesus is like, I'm hungry, and he wants to have another meal with the disciples. This, Jesus just like to eat? I guess the first thing you do after you get resurrected is you're hungry, I guess. And so Jesus sits down and he has a meal with the disciples and as he's sitting there, he, he reminds them, he says, "Just as I have been sent from the Father now I'm sending you. And you would think that the disciples would get it, like they would understand and yet like so many other times, they just don't they just don't get what Jesus is talking about. And so what do the disciples do? They stay right where they are. They stay exactly where they are. In fact, they're just really not doing anything. And in John chapter 21, there they are sitting there doing nothing after having this meal with Jesus and Jesus telling them that, you know, the Father has sent me and now I'm sending you. And instead of doing anything, they're just sort of sitting there. And then Peter says something that ends up changing history. He says, I want to go fishing. I want to go fishing. So the other disciples are like, well, you know what? If you're going to go, I'll go with you. And they were like, okay, well, let's go. And so there in John chapter 21, we're told that they go to the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Now, remember that the disciples are in Jerusalem at this time. And to get from Jerusalem to Galilee is 91 miles. So for 91 miles, all these guys have been thinking about is we're going to go fishing. We're going to go fishing. This is going to be so great. Like, we're going to go fishing. And I get why they want to go fishing, especially Peter they've blown it that they don't know what to do and so what do you do when you don't know what to do well you do something that you're familiar with and that's exactly what they do they go to the sea of galilee and you might you might i'm just imagine sort of in the water behind me that that there they are off in a boat and they're out there and they've been fishing for hours and hours and hours they've been fishing And for 91 miles, they've been talking about all they want to do is fish. And now here they are fishing for hours on end, and they haven't caught a thing. Not a thing. Nothing. All night long and caught nothing. And then from the shore, they hear some guy yelling at them, hey, throw your net on the other side. Well, you know, who's this guy? And is he a fisherman? Does he even know what he's talking about? well, okay, so fine. You know, they, they throw the net on the other side of the boat, and sure enough, you know what happens. What ends up happening? They end up catching a ton of fish. And in that moment, Peter knows exactly who that guy is. And he throws his shirt on, and he jumps into the water, and he swims up to the shore, and there's Jesus. And he's got a little fire going, and he tells Peter, hey, let, let's get some of this fish, and let, let's, let's get something to eat. Let's have a meal together. And we're told in John 21 that they have 153 fish, 153 fish. And they're sitting there and they begin to eat and sharing in this meal. And this is important because Jesus needs to do something with Peter because he remembers that the last time that Peter was around a fire and the last time Peter had smoke in his face was when he was standing outside of the trial for Jesus. And there he denied Jesus three times. And so around this meal, around this little time of eating together, Jesus reminds reminds Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times he reminds Peter, go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my sheep. Go take care of my sheep. And in that moment, Jesus offers Peter some grace and some love over this huge failure that you've had. So this first little moment that Jesus has with the disciples is a major reminder. It's a reminder that you can do all kinds of things on your own. And all alone, you might work really hard at it, but you might not get much of anywhere without Jesus. So today, as you watch this video, as, to, as we go through this, the rest of this video on this Easter day, I hope that you might allow the songs that are sung, the time of communion that is had, the message from John 21... I hope that you might allow, like Peter did there on the on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, to allow these words to touch you in that area where the hurt and the pain and the shame might be, and allow Jesus to offer you the grace and forgiveness that he offered to Peter. Happy Easter to you and to your family.
1: Good morning, Harmony family and friends. My name's Terry Frank, and I hope you are being able to celebrate this Easter morning for what it actually is. Celebration that he is risen. I'll be reading from the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verses four and five. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. May his words give us comfort on this uh, Easter morning. Have a good morning.